I want to change track a little bit as far as our, our teaching and our thinking. Uh, if you were here last week, uh, you, would have, um, you would have heard the message, Developing a Breakthrough Spirit. Yeah. Come on. And, uh, and I guess the whole thought on that was that sometimes our, our thinking, our feelings, our emotions, etc., what's rattling around on the inside of us, it doesn't always serve us well for life. Uh, and sometimes we are just tempted to go with that and allow some of those things to, to dictate to us rather than actually lead from our spirit to build ourselves up, as scripture says, in our most holy faith and live out of a better place. Live out of a place where Jesus is Lord and Jesus rules and Jesus reigns over our thinking and our attitudes and therefore ultimately our actions. And everyone who was here was ultra excited about that message. As a matter of fact, I think it was one of the better messages so far this year so if you weren't here, I reckon you should get a hold of it. Yeah, now, today's a bit of an experiment. At the beginning of the last quarter, I'm changing gear a bit, but I'm also staying in the same vein of thought. Uh, that was a very practical message. Today, I, I'd like to start a little bit of a series on maybe some, some more uh, thought-provoking theological concepts uh, without them being boring. So don't switch off. And so maybe today's a test case. If today doesn't work, don't worry. I'll go back to light and fluffy next week, okay? Uh, Or should I say light and easy? Light and easy. Uh, If we have to go back to diet materials, we will. But, But I'm hoping that... I'm hoping we're ready for meat. That's good. Some people are. See, I've got you all ready. This is good. Um... I don't know about you, but I know that as a, as a young believer, I had some pretty strange ideas about God. And, uh, and that translated to strange behaviour, because it always does. You know, your, your theology always translates to action. What you believe translates to the way you practice. Uh, and your faith outworks itself. And, uh, and I can remember just, for example, um, you know, being red hot for Jesus, and there's nothing wrong with this, really wanting people to meet Jesus and, and literally accosting people who did not want to hear uh, on the streets. As a matter of fact, uh, a friend and, and Pastor Sue and a friend of mine and, uh, and a couple of others at different times, we used to go down at two o'clock in the morning. You did come, didn't you? You did. I remember you were with us at least once. And... Um, and, and two o'clock outside nightclubs. And uh, we'd go to sleep Saturday afternoon, have a few hours sleep so we could get up late and just ambush people. Yeah. And it was like, but I don't want to know about Jesus. Yes, you do want to know about Jesus. Uh, I'm trying to tell you the good news. What's that? You're going to hell. And so, you know, it's like, oh my goodness. Have you ever, I mean, that's, that's pretty innocent stuff, but... That goes from there to just like full-on weirdness. Full-on weirdness. Uh, some of the things that Christians get up to, and so I'm going to ask for the first slide, and, and some of this, you know, you might, you might have seen uh, some of this. This is, um, yeah, some great people from a place called Westboro, and uh, <laughs> beautiful people they are. And, uh, and you've got to wonder, how could you... How could you I guess read the Bible and get God so wrong. Uh, Because this is the scary thing. Obviously, this is a cult. But this is the scary thing. Even people who get it so wrong will generally say, uh, I'm doing it because it's in the Bible or because it's what the Bible tells me 
to do. Isn't that true? And, and here's one of the things, and what I want to, I guess, talk about today. Uh, and in the vein of last week, sometimes our feelings and our thinking does not serve us well. Um, but sometimes our imagination doesn't either. And, uh, and so I want to, I, I guess, unfold this maybe over the next few weeks and look at some things that we can get wrong when our belief is translated through an imagination that's not helping us. Romans chapter two, uh, 12 verse 2 uh, says, Do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then so important, the second part of that verse says, So that you may. Prove what is that good and perfect, pleasing will of God. Uh, In other words, without a renewal of mind, you can't know the will of God. You can't work it out. You will not work it out without a new mind. In other words, Paul was saying your old way of thinking, your old mind, even right down to your old imagination, it will not serve your new life well. If you filter the the new things that you understand about God through an old way of thinking, you're not going to end up with something that's much different from your old way of practice. And Jesus had an encounter with the disciples like this in Luke chapter 22. And it's an encounter that we are all really, really familiar with. Jesus uh, works out that they're arguing with one another. There's a dispute. And uh, they're arguing about which one of us is going to be the greatest. In other words, they're arguing who is going to win the rat race. Do you know that the problem with winning the rat race is you've got to be a rat? And so here's the disciples excited about what's happening with Jesus and they've got a front row seat. They're running with the winner. And they see themselves gaining out of this. And Jesus says to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. Those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. He who is greatest among you, let him be the younger. And he who governs as he who serves. Jesus didn't rebuke them for wanting to be great. That's actually divine image, greatness, the desire for your life to count, the desire to transcend your circumstances, the desire, you know, in in a certain sense to make an impact on the world. There is nothing wrong with that. As as a matter of fact, that is divinely implanted into every heart. Uh, Ecclesiastes tells us that he has put eternity in the heart of man. You are destined to live for something bigger. Uh, The problem was that they were translating that through a worldly imagination. In a sense, Jesus was saying, you've been watching the world too long, boys. You've been observing this world and how it works and taking your cues from it rather than from me. In the next verses, he goes on and says, uh, you know, would you rather serve or be served? Of course, you'd rather sit at the table and be served, but that's not what you see me doing. Because I came to serve and to give my life. Yeah. 
And so they had right belief, but a wrong imagination. And I want to talk to us over the next few weeks, if you would let me, depending on today, (laughs) depending on whether I survive today, I want to talk to you about having orthodox belief, but a pagan imagination. The danger of having orthodox belief, but a pagan imagination, because that changes the way that we express our faith if we're not renewed in the spirit of our mind. Orthodox simply means conventional. It means proper. And so I guess in my mind, you can, you can believe like a believer, but imagine that belief, translate that belief as an unbeliever would. You can say you have faith and actually genuinely have faith, But the way that you imagine that faith working out can rob it of its power. Imagination, I think the best definition I saw, is simply the forming of experiences in the mind. Imagination. That's just an English definition. The forming of experiences in the mind. And their imagination was, I can see myself leading this one day. I can see myself at the right hand of Jesus when he ascends to the throne. And it led them towards wrong, unhelpful, anti-kingdom thinking and then actions with arguing amongst themselves. Their beliefs were right, but their internal picture of how those beliefs would affect real-world behaviour were all wrong. And that's how you get crazy people (laughs) saying they represent God. But here's the scariest one. That's how you get good people representing God in crazy ways. <laughs> and that's even, that's even worse because, I mean, at least cults stand out. At least for the average person they click into, there's something wrong going on. They are one, one bean short of a tin. They can work that out. There's something wrong going on there. But when you have good people representing in poor ways, that's a different thing. That was quite funny, wasn't it? That one? That was funny. I made that up as I went. <laughs> Believing in a loving God, but being unloving and unkind towards others is filtering orthodox belief through a pagan imagination. So what do you imagine when you think about God? When you imagine God, what do you see? Because we all do it at some point. So I'm going to look at some images. And maybe, because the fact is when we're exposed to images, these are the tools of our imagination. So can we have a look at a Renaissance art? There's a famous one by Leonardo, reaching out to touch man. And, uh, uh, you know, you might go, well, no, I don't have that. That's just ridiculous. I mean, look at those horrible little babies. We might talk about them in another week when we talk about what the hell is heaven. <laughs> and then the weekend after that, the week after that, we're going to talk about what the, what the heaven is hell. Okay. 
So you might go, oh, I don't, I don't like that. So let's go, to a, let's go to a great, corny, I know this is bad image, we've got to find better images, but this is just a corny 80s version of Christianity, okay? I'm sure of it, that a lot of us probably grew up on. But we've got, when you see God, who sees God with a white beard? An old man on a throne. Now this one's got Jesus in, so it's, um, you know, this one's advanced because at least two of the members of the Godhead are in this one. So this is an advance on the last one, okay? So, but, but come on, admit it. It's natural to think of God as just like a massive big human being. And because he's been around a long time, he's got to be old. And white beards look distinguished. You know, they're just looking at my brother over here, white beard, beautiful, mate. It's just, you're rocking the beard. And it's, it's no surprise that this image of God has been held for a long time. Can I have the next photo? Uh, because there's a God from the ancient world called Zeus. And he doesn't really look much different, except he's got a spear. Now, it's just an artist's impression of what they believe the statue of Zeus at Olympia looked like, but the whole ancient world thought and knew this way. And, uh, and if we start filtering, and please, the first images, I'm not saying they're Christian ones. Even the first ones, even Leonardo might have got it wrong. Our imagination, we're trying to, we're trying to imagine something that's indescribable. Yeah. Do you realise that? Yeah. When the Bible talks about streets of gold in heaven and all of that kind of thing, do you really think they're streets of gold? It's okay to think that. But it's also okay to think that when you look at the images, particularly in the book of Revelation, you've got a writer who is so overcome in a supernatural vision that he cannot describe what he is seeing. The voice of many waters. When Jesus speaks, he sounds like a waterfall. Is language that says, I have gone past the limits of my human ability to express and I am somehow like an artist trying to paint a picture that I cannot see. And uh, next one. Uh, and so, <laughs> here we go. Here's God. Um, he looks a lot like the Pope, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Um, which shouldn't surprise us, uh, the artist in 1645, Peter de Greber. And I guess... Uh, in that stage of church history, this is Jesus being invited to uh, sit at the right hand of God. But it, it looks a lot like Jesus is submitted to the church, which was kind of the message of the era. In, in other words, you have an incredible representation of orthodox belief and, and a pagan a lords of the earth rule it over rather than serve to the point where at that point the church was trying to give everyone the message that, that Jesus was submitted to the church. Can you see that in that painting? So, and without picking on it, I mean, this quote has been attributed to many. I always attribute, because I can't, can't find the source, I always attribute it to George Bernard Shaw. But God created man in his image and then we returned the favour. 
And can you see it there? We're created in his image, but if we're not careful, we recreate God in ours, in an image that suits us. If we're, we're not actually careful. And so I'm just throwing these images out to help us understand that, uh, that you can have orthodox belief, but translated through wrong thinking, wrong imagination, it can actually turn into something quite ugly. Can I have the next image? And, uh, and again, uh, this one's of Zeus as well. And of course, this is actually who he really is. He's the god of thunder and lightning. And you see him right there with a lightning bolt. Know any Christians like that? <laughs> well, we've already looked at a cult, but honestly... I was a Christian like that at some point. You know, it, it get on board or get out of the way because Jesus is coming through. And we can misinterpret through an imagination that thinks more like the world around us that has been indoctrinated with imagery and thinking, sometimes even from church history, rather than trying to actually engage Scripture and get a clear picture of what Scripture actually says. Who Scripture actually says God is and what he's like. So let's contrast that with a biblical image. Now, we're, we're, don't not straight away. Just take that one away, if you don't mind. Let's get rid of Zeus. We've seen enough of him. Um, this next one's going to shock you, okay? Um, but I, I tend to think maybe it's more of a reflection of what we see in Scripture than anything else. Let's have a look at a picture of God as revealed in Scripture. Can you see three people? Dancing. Now, early church fathers eventually crystallised their thinking about the Trinity somewhere in the early 300s, early 3rd century. Because they're trying to wrestle with um, coming from a background of there is one true God. <laughs> and Jesus, who raised from the dead literally executed because of his refusal to deny equality with God. And then a spirit that has fallen upon them, filled them, who is in reality the divine presence. The early church fathers are struggling with like, we know there's one God, but three people seem to be active in this equation. And somewhere in the early 3rd century, they eventually termed the phrase Trinity. Not in scripture. It's, it's a handle that's put on a whole heap of theological understanding to somehow express in one human term, to give it a handle that we could understand God. And then at late 3rd century... There came a technical term. Are you okay? Are you going okay this morning? I know this is a little bit different to, you know, just get that breakthrough spirit. But, but I think it's important for our foundations. And especially when we talk about heaven and hell and Jesus. And it's going to be very important for the way that we, we feel about ourselves and we feel about the God that we serve and our ability to communicate his message to the world the way he wants it communicated. It's, it's, it's very, very Important. So the late 3rd century, about uh, 397, uh, 
they finally turned a, a, a technical phrase, they used a Greek word, compound word, perichoresis. And that's where this image comes from. And peri meaning to circle around or to make a way for. And, um, and choresis uh, literally means to move forward. Um, and we get modern words like choreography from it. Perichoresis. The divine dance or the circle dance. And this understanding that God in three person moves in perfect motion in a dance. And, you know, as we've come to understand even science, you can look at just simply an, an atom, one of the basic building blocks of all that exists physically. And you look at a building block of an atom and you've got a nucleus with electrons spinning around it. And you have literally a divine dance in the fabric, implanted into the fabric of creation is a trinity that holds all things together. And this is an image of God. Not a God who sits on the throne throwing lightning bolts at people he doesn't like. But a God who has always existed in eternal relationship in a, a dance which makes the incarnation, makes Jesus coming to earth even more special as he steps out of that to invite us in. And that is the message that we carry. Not that there is a God on the throne, that one day God help you if you turn up in front of him without Jesus. The message is... That the creator who created all these things and set them in motion for his own pleasure has been willing to give so much, to literally sacrifice part of himself to win back and to bring back into this circle of eternal creative motion. His plan, his purpose to bring us back to himself. And that's our message. You know, when we, when we get it wrong, who's ever found, if, if you're someone who does like to share their faith, uh, if, if you're thinking with a pagan imagination about God, at some point, your conversation will always get to the point of it's them and us. I'm on the inside, they're on the outside. It's them and us. And that's actually not the language that scripture uses. Yes, people need to come to repentance, but can, can, I, under, can, can I just let us, you know, and I've, I know I've said this before, remember what repentance means. It means a turnaround. We've got all these religious trappings attached to that word. Well, there should be tears. No, no, no. No, repent means to turn around. That's the good news. Your life can turn around. You're going that way and it's hurting, your life can turn around. Yeah. It's really good news. Yeah, Jesus has come for the turnaround. Yeah. <laughs> I'm walking to destruction and now I'm walking to life. Yes. I'm walking, reaping all the pain of the stuff I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing and the things I'm thinking I shouldn't be thinking. And then I have a turnaround and I realise what life really is. Yeah. Oh, ho, ho. And that's the message we preach. Yeah. 
In the book of Acts, chapter 17, Paul's in the Areopagus. And that, is, uh, that was the Greek early seat of, of, of government in Athens. And, and then it became a cultural centre as well. And, uh, and he's addressing the people there. And we know that Athens was tough. Athens was hard for Paul. He didn't have some massive breakthrough there. It was difficult. And here's what he says while he's talking to, if we can put it this way, pagans. The quote-unquote outsiders. This is what Paul says. Though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. In other words, no one's outside. Some might be ignorant. Some might even be knowingly rebellious. But no one's outside. It's not them and us. In other words, Paul's saying it's us and us. We share the same broken planet. It's not like people live on another planet and it's them and us. It's humanity, baby. And some of us have been awakened and some of us haven't. And so our job is not to say the good news is you're going to hell if you don't accept Jesus. Our job is to literally say, do you realise that the Creator's reaching out to you and will never stop reaching out to you because he loves you and he wants you to experience an incredible turnaround in your life like you wouldn't believe how amazing life could get following Jesus and living according to the purpose that you were originally created for. I'm just trying to undo some things here is that okay you know it's not impossible to understand the image of God this way just looking at us remember we're made in the image of God every every human being and it's like well God God three persons one God but three persons that's really hard to understand but it's not if you just look at yourself if you look in the mirror and interestingly enough um, if you neglect any one part of yourself, you're going to suffer the consequences. Okay, so if you neglect your body, your health is going to suffer. We all know that. You, you eat wrong, you don't exercise, whatever. You're going you're gonna to hurt yourself. And increasingly our societies become aware of a soul component as well. In your thinking and in your emotions. And if you don't look after yourself, if you don't look after the emotional side of you and the mental side of you, which you can't see, but is very real. People struggle with the God they can't see. It's like, duh. You can't see the mental thing. How real is it? Who's ever felt like the mental thing's more real than the physical thing anyway? You get that feeling? And so you neglect that, it will hurt you. And in exactly the same way, if you neglect the spirit, you are body, soul and spirit. If you, re- re- you are trinity, you are a triune being. That's what I'm saying. You want to understand God, look at yourself. You're a triune being. But our world often does not recognise the spiritual. Sometimes it does, often it doesn't. And if you say, uh, well, how do you know whether that affects things? I say, look at your news feed. Just look at your news feed and you'll see what the neglect of spirit is. You'll see the pain it causes. 
you'll see the destruction that it causes. So understanding God as a unity, as a trinity, in constant motion and constantly connected and constantly expressing creatively is not hard to understand if you understand yourself. If you just understand what's going on on the inside of you. So the true, in, true image of God is not static judge of the earth. That's Zeus. But creator, drawing creation back to the dance. And any definition of God that doesn't have that at its centre is distorted. Romans 5 eight. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I love what it says at the beginning of that verse. God demonstrates his love. How do I know God loves every person? Well, before they repent, he died for them. He paid the ultimate price before we made one step in his direction. This was not a carrot and stick thing. This was not a... If you commit to me, then I'll make the ultimate commitment to you. This was God saying, I'll make the ultimate commitment to you and whether you commit to me or not is going to be entirely at your discretion because that's what love does. And to me, I think about it when I think back to that young guy who was so passionate outside nightclubs in Toowoomba City, Bible bashing people uh, with a good heart. Uh, Didn't see many come to Jesus. I saw a couple say sinners' prayers, but it was more just to get the hell out of my life. That, that was like, that was the only response I think I ever saw. Um, but when I think back to that and I think to this message, that the creator who set all this in motion and whose image can be seen not only on the inside of you, but on the, every fabric and fibre of all that you see and all that exists, this God, is pursuing you and will re- pursue you res- relentlessly even when you don't want to know, even when you're lost in darkness happily. He's going to pursue you and he's going to love you and he's going to track you down until you realise just how much he loves for you. And I think, man, that's the message that almost sounds like good news. that the one who set all this in motion hasn't forgotten you and he loves you and even if you don't respond to him it's not going to stop him responding to you and reaching out to you and that is good news that is seeing God with just a little bit of a renewed imagination rather than an old way of thinking and an old way of seeing. So I want to pray for us today, if you'd stand with me, if that's okay. And um, I want to pray the way that one of my good friends prays for you today. So if, you're a, if you'd like to receive prayer today, why don't you just lift your hands to heaven or just open your heart, however you do. And, um, and today I bless you. I bless you to be life-giving with whoever you meet. There's no them and us. There's just us and us. (laughs) 
And I bless you to be life-giving. I bless you to be encouraging. I, I bless you to share your faith and to share your journey, to share your struggles, to share your pain, to share the things you don't understand and the amazing things that you do without fear or favour. To be life-giving with whoever you meet. To be gracious. I bless you to be gracious in every situation. I bless you to be loving and forgiving of others just as in Christ God has loved and forgiven us. Father, help us. Help us to represent. Help us to represent you accurately, to be an accurate reflection of all that you are, of who you are. In Jesus' wonderful name. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, just in this presence, just in this moment of his presence. Uh, If you're here today and maybe you've never met this amazing creator God, you've heard a little bit of the story today. Jesus came to show his love to us. And he's pursuing you. I I always feel that that might be why you're here if you are... If you're not actively in a relationship with God, if you wouldn't say that the God thing is your thing, I always believe that's why you end up in a service like this is because this God I'm talking about is actively pursuing you and he's using friends, he's using family, he's using any means necessary to get your attention because he loves you and because you don't have to become something else for him to love you. He's already loved you. And the question today is just, will you receive that? Will you open your heart to receive that love? To invite him into your life and maybe to stop running, stop hiding and, and surrender to Jesus this morning, knowing that he loves you. And in a few moments' time, we're going to pray a very simple prayer. We pray it at every service at New Hope. It's a prayer of commitment, dedication. It's, it's an opportunity for us to connect with with God in this place and it's an opportunity for you today if you've if you've never reached out to God or maybe it's a long time since you'd say my life was genuinely connected to God I know Jesus and I'm walking with him I want to give you the opportunity this morning so while every head's bowed every eye is closed friend if that's you and you, you just know Chris I need Jesus. I want Jesus this morning. I want him to come into my life. Would you just raise your hand right where you are? Just right where you are. Well, no one's looking around, but just in this moment. Yep, awesome, mate. God bless you. That's fantastic. You can put your hand down again. That's cool. Others in this place, come on, that's you. Just just a moment. I'm not going to hold it long, but I just know that people are thinking in moments like this, and I want to respect that just others in this place and you just know this is my time, this is my moment you just raise your hand up and I'll acknowledge it you can put it down again just going to look across one more time fantastic that is awesome, what a great decision to make, come on why don't we give it up for people who have just made that decision and I'm going to invite you to make this prayer your own dear Jesus I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life and I will follow you. Amen. 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 Uh, Amen. So 
in a moment, Michael's going to come and if you've made that decision, he's going to let you know what you can do to, to follow up on that and how we can help you. You know, we've got some material for you. Um, for the rest of us, what do you think? Like, don't go there, don't go there, or should we go there? You want, you want to do what the hell is heaven? You want to do that? You want to do what the heaven is hell? You want to do that? You want to have a look at Jesus and how we can get Jesus so wrong sometimes with our uh, imagination? If we're, Yeah, we are. We're up for that. You guys are awesome. God bless you.